Well, we are in week two of a message series I started last week on Mother's Day. This series will go from Mother's Day to Father's Day, and we have entitled this series Warrior. It is all about the spiritual battle. If you don't know you're in a battle, you've already lost. If you don't know who your enemy is, you've already made yourself an unbelievably easy target. If you don't understand the king who you serve in whose power you stand, you will be easily defeated. You won't be able to stand. And in order to truly engage what his part is and what our part is in this divine partnership between the supernatural and the natural, between the divine and the dirt of who we are, the word of God gives us guidance on how to face these kinds of battles. The apostle Paul, who is chained, he's an ambassador in chains uh, in a Roman prison And he is urging us through this letter as he writes his hands being cuffed behind the jail uh, door. He is encouraging us in the book of Ephesians in the sixth chapter, 10 through 18, those nine verses is where we'll set up camp and we'll, we'll see some peripheral verses as we go even today. But this is the crux of where we're going to lean in. We're gonna dive in and drill down deep into this passage of scripture that Paul urges the church of Ephesus to follow. And that church of Ephesus is also us today in 2022. Paul ends his letter to this church with these statements. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. This whole thing on warfare is not, has nothing to do with your willpower. It has everything to do with his power. Many people, you don't, we don't even realize it, and there, uh, there are moments I have to continually check myself where I operate in my willpower, in my biting of the bottom lip, in my ability, not in his strength, but in my strength. This is the power of a valley in your life. We, we don't like valleys, we don't like suffering, but it's really hard to understand the strength that comes from Jesus that has sustained the mountaintop unless we've gotten into some suffering and some valleys that you couldn't handle, you couldn't control, you couldn't navigate, you couldn't you know, uh, opinionate, you couldn't negotiate, you just had to walk through the valley of the shadow of death. And when you do, you find the end of your willpower and you find the beginning of his power and he's inviting, don't you dare stand on trying to bite your bottom lip and just, you know, choke it up and just kind of hang in there. We've got to rely on his mighty power. He says, now that's a partnership. You in his mighty power put on. So it's a stand in his power, but you put on the armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. He's conniving. He's manipulating. He speaks a specific language. We sang in two different languages today, but the enemy only has one language. His language is called lie. That's his language. He is fluent. He knows it better than anybody else. He's the father of the language. He's the father of lies. And his scheme is always about lies. For our struggle is not against your mother-in-law. Struggle isn't against that supervisor or that coworker or that spouse, even though many times it takes that physical form. There's always something happening underneath. And this scripture shows us that the enemy isn't kind of happy-go-lucky, kind of kicking the can of spiritual warfare down the street just to see what might happen. He's not kind of a Russian roulette kind of enemy. He is organized. He is strategic. He prowls like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. He has a tackle box, the Bible says in 
the book of James, a tackle box. We are enticed and lured in by our own evil desires. He is a master fisherman. And he knows what kind of lure you end up wanting to bite on. Because we are against these rulers and authorities and powers and spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. If we can't even agree with what we see, what about all this stuff we can't see? And the truth is, you and I, we are at war. We're at a war. We're, at a civil, we're in civil war. The civil war isn't fought by a north and a south. It's not geography and, and it's not fought with weapons right now. It's fought with language. It's fought with morality. It's fought with Who's going to win the, 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 the heart of ethic and morality in our nation? Way beyond a red or a blue situation. This is a this is relational anathema. Friends against friends and brothers against sisters and moms against daughters. And we're divided. We're at war. But way beyond what we war in the flesh and blood, there is a spiritual war behind what's going on. And the Apostle Paul talks about battle gear and armor and, and, and like the devil's schemes and all this thing. And that, that whole idea of war, he's not trying to glorify war because just as General Sherman said back in 1869, war is hell. The Apostle Paul isn't trying to glorify something that is hellish, is cruel. Nobody really, really wins at war. It's just somebody lo loses a little less. War is hell on earth. And so he's not trying to glorify this attack and try and make us feel like we are bigger than what we really think we are. And we can kind of fight our battles and wield our swords and pray our prayers and do our thing. He's showing us this to really make us understand not only is our position as sons and daughters of the king, but we also take on this responsibility of being enlisted under his kingdom, enlisted as men and women of his kingship. Here's a question I wanna, I wanna ask you today before we dive in a little deeper. Can I really say to God, command me? Do you know that there's hardly a person on the face of the planet that loves, I mean loves, being told what to do? <laughs> like, ain't, ain't a lot of people that just like, hey, I've got my own ideas, but what do you want me to do? I'm gonna completely sideline everything and I'm gonna do, like, I want it. I'm gonna do it my way. I'm gonna do it. Why can't I? Just let me. Can I have 10 more minutes? How long am I gonna be grounded from that? I want it. No, it, it, we usually just don't wake up full grown in maturity saying, I really want your, your will be done, mom and dad, not my will be done. Okay, they don't grow up like, like, they, you have, to, you have to add that in to them. That's called discipline. That's called development. Can I really say to God, command me? And his word of God, the word of God, his word, the Bible, is commands. Ideas and principles for living, guardrails and boundaries and it's one thing to say, I love you, Jesus. It's another thing to say, command me, Jesus. Because if we're not willing to say, command me, we really don't understand our place in his kingdom. Yes, son and daughter, but we've also enrolled into the reality of spiritual warfare. 
And so when we're dealing with that kind of thing, if, if I were a soldier and I had enlisted and I had been shipped to Afghanistan and my commanding officer says, we're going here at this 0100 hour, we are gonna do this, you're gonna do that, and you're gonna do this. That's not the time for me to say, nah, nah. can we flip a coin? No, no. That's a sir, yes, sir. Even if I don't agree, I'm someone under authority and I'm under orders. There is legal ramifications, severe penalty if I choose in the middle of being enlisted in battle to do it my own way. He gives us all we need to be successful. But are we able to truly say to God today, this morning, Tomorrow when you wake up, when you don't really know what's next, when the going has gotten tough, when there's tension in the relationship, when there is more month left at the end of the money, are we really able to say, command me, God, command me. I wanna obey you. It's not about me just agreeing with you because I'm not always gonna agree with you. There are things in the Bible I wish weren't in there that can be hard to agree with but God's not called me to agree with him. He's called me to follow him. Command me, Lord. And Paul kind of fleshes this out. So if you're gonna follow the orders, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil, not if, because it's a coming, you tell him I'm coming and I'm bringing evil with me. <laughs> when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground and after you've done everything, when your willpower runs out, that you can stand in his power, not your willpower. And over the next five verses, he gives us the armor, the battle armor. From the belt of truth to the helmet of salvation to the breastplate of righteousness to praying all kinds of prayers. And over the next few weeks, we'll unpack one of these at a time. And I want you to know that these aren't things that you conjure up. These aren't uh, character traits. These are actually, uh, this is all about a person. It's the person of Jesus in your life. Jesus is truth. Jesus is your righteousness. Jesus is your shield. Jesus actually prays over you. Jesus is your salvation. And today, we're going to uh, kind of lean into the idea of the belt of truth. Belt of truth. So if you're taking notes on the app or physically on your study guide, I wanna invite you to write some thoughts down. I find it interesting that Paul, when he says, do everything you can do to stand, we're in this battle and we're not battling, like this is a major thing. I'm surprised he doesn't start with like the sword. I'm surprised he doesn't start with the shield. I'm surprised he doesn't start with the breastplate of righteousness. He starts with the belt. <laughs> Many times that's how my dad started, okay? I'm just gonna tell you. Starts with the belt. Write these down. I can't attack with it. Even though growing up, I don't know if you ever heard this, but I was raised a certain way that if I was goofing off and my mom said, you just wait till your dad gets home and I hear him get home and I'm downstairs or I'm upstairs and they're having a conversation, there was a distinct sound that you did not want to hear and that was a, a clanging of kind of metal and leather and a, a pop, 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 pop. Because that was that belt coming out of those belt loops. Oh, pop, 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 pop. And that's where we go, oh, Jesus, 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 Jesus. And Jesus is like, <laughs> too late <laughs> you know uh, can't, I, I can't attack with it it's not meant to be a weapon uh, I, I, I can't defend with it 
It's not like the shield. It's not like the helmet. It, it's like there's not, there's, it's not an offensive weapon or a defensive weapon. Here's, here's the paradox, though. Even though it's not a weapon, I can't fight without it. I can't fight the fight I'm called to fight to stand on the ground I'm supposed to stand without it. A couple of years ago for my 40th birthday, not only did Janet surprise me, but our deacon team uh, gave us a blessing. They, they, they paid for us to go on a little 40th birthday vacation and they, they sent us to Vail, Colorado, uh, us and our two kids. And we had a great time, three days mountain biking and having a blast. And, and uh, for those that don't know that, that like back when I was 39, I made a major shift in, in, in life and uh, in my health and lost almost a hundred pounds. And, and uh, I was uh, about 60 pounds in by my 40th birthday. And, and I was uh, uh, early in the morning, I was down in the lobby of the hotel as they were sleeping in a little bit. I was working on a couple things. And, and uh, as I was coming back up, they were beginning to stir, stir. I was coming back up the steps and I was gonna walk to our room. I had a Starbucks coffee in one hand and a hot cocoa in the other because Janet doesn't drink coffee, but she just does drink hot chocolate. And I told her, can I bring you some, baby? Because I'm a good husband. And, and, and I, I was bringing her. I had my laptop bag on my shoulder. I had a coffee in one hand and a cocoa in the other hand, but also was wearing some older jeans because we were going mountain biking that day. And those older jeans, because I'd lost some weight, weren't really fitting very good. And as I ran up the steps... And as I walked down the hall and then the other hall and then the other hall, because there's a big hotel, my pants started falling on to the ground, on the ground, pants on the ground, looking like a fool with my pants on the ground. And I knock, I, I kind of knock on the door with my elbow and Janet opens and she sees me standing there. I'm like, I can't, I'm about ready to lose my pants. I can't get them with my, you know, I got the laptop on my shoulder and my two. And Janet, after just like making fun of me, and laughing, like falling on the floor laughing, she then becomes the good wife and she gets her camera out. She actually took the picture and, and I, you can't quite tell just how much I'm sagging right there. But then she, she wanted to make sure she got a good 360 degrees so she went to behind me and <laughs> literally holding my pants together to try and make it, to try and make it into the room. That's how my, much my wife cares about me. I missed an incredible piece. I couldn't really go where I needed to go without the belt. Wasn't going to be able to, to make my day without the right belt securing the most important pieces of my wardrobe. It's not only is it not an offensive weapon or a defensive weapon and you can't win without it, but here's the deal, everybody. Write it down. It is the foundation of the armor. The Apostle Paul would be writing to the Hebrew church and the Jewish church, and he is using the Roman centurion as an example, but he also is talking in their own language. And the belt of truth, actually, uh, when you talk about belt, it's way beyond, beyond just what comes into a, a belt loop. It, it would have been in their wardrobe. A lot of their clothes would have been very flowing, like big robes and, and large kind of sashes. And when someone had to gird their loins or they had to you know, gather up their loins, it would mean that if they had to run somewhere or, or, or walk briskly or they had to uh, get into a battle, they would take their large robes, the large uh, pieces that would be flowing, easily tripping them up, and they would 
stuff them, they would gird them into their belt so that they could be ready to face whatever they were going to face. And so this belt of truth, even though it's not a weapon, it was meant that we would store, we would collect, we would, we would be able to hang on to and effectively gather ourselves for combat by placing what would hold us back in a position to where we can move forward. Now, when it comes to the idea of the belt of truth, it's not about just the belt, it's actually truth. Before you ever battle, you've got to know the truth. I mentioned it last week, uh, put it in your notes again. You would write, wanna write this down. Satan, in spiritual warfare, doesn't leave fang marks on my flesh. Okay, this isn't a Dracula, this isn't a Halloween, this isn't a spooky ghost story. He doesn't leave fang marks on the flesh. This is how the enemy comes in like a flood. He leaves lies in my heart. This is the language. This is his tactic. This is his one and only strategy to lie to you. And it's important to really kind of break this down before we get into the crux of how we apply practically this word of God to our everyday life. So what I want to do is let's look at this whole idea of he leaves lies in my heart. And let me talk to you about those last two words, my heart. Let me kind of set the record straight a little bit. And you, you may, I'm not thinking of anybody in particular. If this has been you, that's okay. I don't even know that. I've just seen it on the interwebs. I've seen it on Facebook. I don't post much, but I creep a lot. <laughs> and and, and I, I've seen this and it's amazing how... Church people can pick the dumbest fights. Actually, people can pick the dumbest fights, including church people. Do you know why, do you know why people say, I would go to church, but it's a bunch of hypocrites? It's because we are. <laughs> you know, the church is full of hypocrites, but so is Walmart, but you're still going to Walmart. But the, tr the, the truth is this. My heart, I've seen this, I've seen this complaint. I've seen this complaint uh, on, on Facebook. You need to stop saying, pe people don't need to be, you can't ask Jesus into your heart. That's not even biblical. You can't ask Jesus into your heart. You gotta believe he is who he says you, he is and you believe and confess with your mouth. This whole inviting in a heart, that's a cultic thing. Okay, shut up. Okay, because those same people, let me ask you this. Let me let just pause that. Let me put that on the shelf over here and let me ask you this. Anybody ever seen a beautiful sunset in East Texas? Anybody ever seen a beautiful sunset? No, you haven't. Put your hands down. You know why? Because bless God, the sun doesn't set. It is stationary. It doesn't move around. You must be a flat earther. You must not understand that God created everything, even the sun. We all revolve around the sun. Bless God, S-O-N, not just S-U-N. He knows the galaxy. You're picking a dumb fight when we invite our children to ask Jesus into their heart. Here's what heart really is. Here's what heart really is. In the Bible, the heart represents the integration of my thoughts, my emotions, and my desires. The way I think, the way I feel, and how I act those things out on a daily basis. So when we invite Jesus into our heart, when we believe he is who he says he is, he should be affecting our thoughts, our emotions, and our desires. And do you know that the integration of those thoughts and emotions and desires create muscle memory? 
It creates a muscle memory. The same way a, a mom or a dad who their kid is finally out of the car seat, but they're sitting in the front seat. And even though they're buckled up, you gotta kind of slam on the brake. And what do you do as a parent that's in the driver's seat? You know it, you already did it. Some of you already got the muscle memory. You just, you just, you just defibrillated the person next to you just then, clear. Like, you know it, it's a natural thing. It's a natural thing. You know, it's a natural thing for you to blame people. I mean, Eve eats the apple, Adam eats the apple, God shows up and says, what, you, what, what happened? And Adam's like, well, she gave me the apple. The woman you put here, thanks a lot. Like we love to play the blame game. We have a knee-jerk reaction. It gets into our muscle memory. Hey, you know what? I just, I have a short fuse. You know why? Because your thoughts and emotions, your heart has been damaged by lies. And the short fuse, you think that it's just something that is just the way you are, and it is, but it doesn't have to be the way you remain. So my heart, that integration of my thoughts, emotions, and desires, God wants us, the Proverbs say, above all else, guard your heart because everything flows from it. So if he, if he is after our heart, and the way he does it is he leaves lies in there, not in the heart in the pumping blood organ, but in the actual thoughts, emotions, and desires that come out into your muscle memory. You used to think about doing that thing that you do that you wish you wouldn't do, but now you don't even think about it anymore. You don't, you don't even think about it anymore. It's become muscle memory. And you know you shouldn't behave that way. You know you shouldn't respond that way to your spouse, but your muscle memory has become defensive because you are actually believing a lie that's telling you you can't trust your spouse and what they're saying and they're after, out to get you versus they're not out to get you. But that's what you're believing and it's a lie. And here's what Satan's lies do. Satan's lies infect my heart and will drive me to ruin it's like a cancer that gets into your heart. It will drive a normal desire, a normal thought, a normal emotion, and it distorts it and perverts it and molests it and, and, and infects it. So let me give you an example. It's okay to be good and angry. It's okay to be angry about stuff. Anger is an emotion. God has gotten angry. Jesus is angry, but in his anger, he never sinned. But in your anger, you do sin. And in my anger, I have sinned. See, what happens is anger in and of itself can be an emotion. But if the enemy infects that anger, that anger turns into hatred or that anger turns into jealousy or that anger turns into bitterness. And the enemy will use something natural in your thoughts, emotions, and desires. Sexual desire is a God-given thing. Bless the Lord. Creation procreation, recreation. Sex is a beautiful gift of God. But when the enemy infects sexual desire, it moves from a sexual desire dedicated to be an intimacy apparatus, a commitment apparatus between one man and one woman for life. And the more we operate outside of that boundary, it damages our commitment apparatus designed chemically, emotionally, physically, and spiritually by God himself. And what can happen is that turns, it gets infected, and instead of being a sexual desire that's healthy, it becomes lust. Lust is a God-given desire gone haywire. It's distorted, it's infected. And it's a, it's a good thing that gets infected and will kill you. 
And the enemy wants to take good things and infect them. He, he, wants to take, uh, he wants to take good things like the church, and he wants to divide and conquer the church. Hey, he wants to take good things, your job, and he wants to infect it to a way where you're trusting more on your boss, boss's hands and the paycheck than God's hands. And he can infect you with the idea, the thought that if I lose this job, I've lost everything. If I lose this fight, I'm the weaker person. If I don't stand up for this, if I don't do this, if, I, if I'm not happy, I should be able to. And he infects our thoughts and our emotions and our desires. And it creates muscle memory. And the truth be told, you and me, listen to me. I wonder how many of us are believing lies today that you don't even know are lies yet. There are assumptions you've made, lies you're believing, you need a oh moment. And I believe that by the time we're done today, God may not give you every oh moment, but there is gonna be an aha moment for all of us and maybe some lies we lean into that have infected our heart. Why is this, why is this important? Well. Write it down. Because behind every sin is a lie I'm believing. Sin is not the act I commit, it's the authority I reject. It wasn't eating the fruit in the garden that was the sin. It was rejecting the authority of God that said, don't eat that fruit. Eat all the other fruit. Don't eat that fruit on that tree. And they rejected the authority of God's final say. And it was the rejection of his authority that was the sin. Not just the eating of the fruit. It's not in your notes, you may wanna jot it down, that sin is not a behavior issue, it is a believing issue. Does it come out in behavior? Should we address behavior? Absolutely. But the church for decades was more about, you ought not do this, you ought to do that. If you're not praying more than this many minutes a day, then are you even saved, brother? If you're not doing this, if you're not making that happen, if you're not showing up every time the church doors are open, and if you're not wearing t-shirts that are pithy statements about, you know, three nails, four given, like if you're not wearing... If you're not doing your thing, all of a sudden we became behavior modification specialists instead of dealing with the root of the issue, the heart issue, the, the belief system. Because behind every sin is a lie you begin to believe. I deserve to be happy. There is joy unspeakable that can come from Jesus. But the enemy would love nothing more than to twist and to go haywire on that God-given desire of joy and happiness and make it sound like if I don't have this physical, emotional, relational affair, I'm never really going to be. They just don't get me. I married too young. I should have been smarter. We were young. We were dumb. We would have done things differently. And God understands. I made a mistake. And I deserve to be happy. And the affair... It starts in the heart with the thoughts and emotions and desires gets twisted where the enemy would say, you deserve this. It, nobody's going to find out. You're going to be able to explain this. Look at them, what they did. That's not even as bad as what you're doing, right? Behind every behavior is a sin I'm believing. So here's what we've got to do. Write it down. Trying to change my behavior without truly changing my mind is an absolute waste of time. 
That's why, can I, can I give you a little hint? When you find your children lying to you, if you're not careful, you go to the behavior and not the belief. Inadvertently, inadvertently, my parents would say, the greatest parents I could ever have prayed for, hoped for, asked for, I didn't get to choose them, and yet they got to be my parents. Love them, and they love Jesus with all their heart, mind, soul, and strength. But when they would address a lie, they'd say something like, um, oh, you made God sad when you lied. And inadvertently, although it was truth, God's love for me began to become dependent on how good I was. So I don't want to lie and make God mad. I don't want to make, I don't want to, I don't want to lie and make God flip his lid on me. Like he is out of control on his own emotions. So, so how do you, how do you adjust that? You honor Jesus when you tell the truth. You honor him when you tell the truth. You honor each other when you tell the truth. You honor yourself when you tell the truth. He's the truth. Tell the truth. L lies are a tool of the enemy. He wants to steal and kill. He wants to make you think that God is gonna be after you because you lied. <laughs> and so why would I even go to God for forgiveness anyway if he's just gonna be after me? I mean, some of you parents, you know you said, if you tell me the whole truth, it will be, there'll be less punishment. And then they tell you the whole truth and then you give them all the punishment. You, you then become the liar. <laughs> like we gotta figure out how to, how to really walk in truth. And we gotta figure out how to not just be using God as a, as a leveraging tool for behavior modification, but believe we're always, we're always stronger when we tell the truth. We're, we, we, we're always honoring when we tell the truth. There's something powerful. There's, it is godly when, when, our when, our, when our words are truth in love. That's truth. I can build on that. And that's a belief I've got to go all the way down into, not just a modification, a behavior modification. Are you with me so far? So let's keep going. The Bible says these people show honor to me with words, but their hearts are far from me. So it's very possible to love Jesus and honor Jesus and make an all-in commitment. And yet your heart is not where it needs to be because there's behavior happening out here and yet there's still lies in here. Now, why is this so important? Why is this so critically important as we launch into the rest of the armor of God? Well, I'll tell you why. I'm glad you asked. Because our lives move in the direction of our strongest thoughts. And the more you think, listen, listen to me, it is not the stress of your job that's stressing you out. Everybody's got a certain amount of stress in their job. Anybody ever been in the exact same job and you have a friend who's always complaining about the stress and you're like, you know, I love you, shut up, you know? You're, you're, I'm dealing with it, you need to deal with it. So what we do is we actually, sin can infect, lies can infect our heart and we can say, you need to suck it up, Betty. And we lose any kind of patience or understanding with them. We don't know that they're being held captive. Listen, it's not the stress of your job that's really causing you the kind of stuff you're dealing with. It's the way you're thinking about the stress of your job. It's, it's not about how angry your spouse made you. Oh, they're just driving me crazy. You gave them the steering wheel, knucklehead. It's how you are thinking about 
what they said. It's how you are processing what they said, not just what they said. And your, your life is going to move in the direction of your strongest thoughts. So the Apostle Paul gives us some encouragement in Romans 8. Those who are dominated by the sinful nature, look, this isn't just psychology, this is scripture. When you are dominated by sinful nature, you know it's why? You're thinking about sinful things. You're thinking about sinful things. You wanna be dominated by sinful things? Think about sinful things. Paul goes on to say, those who are controlled by the spirit, here's the game changer. It's not that they pray louder. It's not that they worship louder. It, it, it's not that they go to church more. It's that they think about things that please the spirit. So, letting your sinful nature control your mind leads to death. But letting the spirit control your mind leads to life and peace. How do you do that? How, how do you let him control? You put on the belt of truth every day. The question I wanna ask you today as we begin to wrap up and give you practical insights, practical handlebars on how to actually day by day put on, buckle up the armor. Okay, the question I want you to answer for yourself. Am I excited about the direction my thoughts are taking me? Am I excited about that? Or when I begin to just stop for a minute and I begin to evaluate, do I find myself quick to speak and slow to listen and quick to become angry? Or do I find myself quick to listen, slow to speak and slow to become angry? Am I wise with my words knowing that they're poison or fruit and I get to decide? Or do I just spew whatever comes out of my mouth, whatever I'm thinking, get off the train tracks when the train's coming through? Am I excited about the direction my thoughts are taking me? Paul in that book of Romans gives us another one. You know, Romans is like the constitution of Christianity. It's like the we the people, we the Christ followers. This is, it's like a constitution on how to live. And the apostle Paul says in Romans 12, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world because they always wanna get the last word in edgewise. They wanna do whatever feels good that that must be their king, that must be their God. We thought years ago, we thought years ago that sexual liberation was gonna bring so much joy and goodness. The fuddy-duddy generations that had gone by that were watching the antiquities of the Bible and being all like saving it till marriage and valuing marriage and whatnot. Oh, get with the times, Grandpa. And people are less happy and less fulfilled than they've ever been. Yet we don't listen to the science. We let the lies infect our heart. We don't listen to the proof. I mean, it's, it's beyond crazy. It's beyond crazy. Even the thought of we have found life on Mars. We found life on Mars, everybody. And all it is is bacteria. And yet we, we can't say that that baby growing in that womb is life. It's like... The more we hear something and the more we assume something and the more he infects something, we start believing something. Like, like we got to deal with the reality that, that we can't copy the customs of this world who loves to lie. Born in it. Counterfeit culture. Truth is God. Lies are the enemy. Don't copy the behavior. Instead, let God transform you like a caterpillar into a butterfly. That whole metamorphosis is what he's talking about there, Paul is. 
into a new person by changing. Everybody say it with me, changing. It's not just changed in the twinkling of an eye. That's called going to heaven and having a new body. That's being in the presence of Jesus. But he is in a consistent process of not salvation. You are saved, but your sanctification, your process of becoming closer to him in the way you think, in the way you feel, in the way you act, becoming more aligned with who he is and who he says you're supposed to be as a son or daughter of the one true king. He's changing the way you think. So I want to give you four ways to buckle up the belt of truth. What if, what if your life is being hijacked by a lie? What if you could find it out? What if you could, what if you could sniff it out? What if you could d- 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 begin to see it, identify it, recognize that lie, replace it with truth? and stand on the promises of God. How would that change your life? How would that change your relationships? How would that change your kids? How would that change your future? How would it would change? It, you would be transformed like a caterpillar to a butterfly, everybody. And that's not my words, that's Paul's. It's really God's through Paul. So here are four ways we buckle up the belt of truth. The first one is so elementary, but if you can't get it, I can't. It's like, it's just, it's the deal. Start here. Believe the Bible. Believe the Bible. Believe God is who he says he is. Believe Jesus has done what he says he's done. Believe that he is doing what he said he would do. Believe that he is preparing a place that he said he would prepare. Believe that his spirit that raised Christ from the dead can dwell in you. Believe that greater things you can do. It is important that he go away to be with his father and send us the power of the Holy Spirit and to live controlled by the Spirit. It's better for you to do that than to walk in the flesh with Jesus hand in hand into everywhere you go every single day that the Spirit of God is with you and is just as real in the spirit realm than would be in the physical realm. In fact, even more real because everything you see is temporary, but what you can't see that he says you should be able to see if you can see the way he sees, all that's eternal, all that's real. You can take it to the bank and believe it. The word of God is not suggestions. It's the way of life. It's the moral compass for living. It is the foundation for everything. It is God breathed and it is for correction and, and for rebuke. It's to get you on the path. If you've gotten on the path, off the path, it gives you the light for the path. It, it gives you angles on how to navigate the roadblocks and the obstacles that may, you may feel along that journey. Believe the Bible. Because you're believing something. Believe in something. And believe the full counsel of God. Let, let, let me say something clear to you. It's one thing to believe the Bible when you agree with it, but this is where we say, God, command me. God, command me. It's your, your house, your rules. Your house, your rules. Your kingdom, your rules. And we say, that's really great, but there are a few things that I just don't agree with. There are a few things that you know, we've evolved from there. There's a few things that I would adapt. I just don't agree with. God don't care whether you agree with him or not. He doesn't say, oh, but you just agree. He says, obey, obey. If you love me, you'll produce the strength that it is required to obey. So know that I love you. I loved you so much, I gave my most valuable treasure for you, paid for your sin by the, the blood of my own son. 
I loved you this way, love me. And if you'll love me, you'll want to obey my commands. His commands are not to be trifled with. His commands are not suggestions. His Bible is the foundation for living. And when we bump up against something and we want to change it in Scripture, the truth is when we bump up to something, we should be saying, what, what should we change in us? Not so that the Bible aligns with us, because that means that we're God. But we align with the Bible because he's God. Believe the Bible. Why is this so important? It's exactly what Jesus did. He didn't have any kind of trickery. He didn't have any kind of uh, ace up his sleeve. When Jesus is called into ministry, okay, ever since the foundations of the earth were formed, he was called into ministry. But at 30 years old, he's baptized and he goes out into the wilderness. And for 40 days and 40 nights, he is tempted. And yet he doesn't sin. He doesn't fall into temptation. And he avoids all that. And he stands his ground he buckles up his own belt of truth in the wilderness. Now I wanna show you a correlation. When God created the heavens and the earth and he put the first humans on the planet in the garden, it was an innocent, guilt-free, beautiful, lush, every single thing they could imagine was given to them right there. Hundreds of trees with fruit they could eat from, except the one tree says, don't do that. Everything else is good. They were in a lush garden, given everything, and the first two humans God created failed. They were tempted by the lies of the enemy. Did God really say you can't eat this fruit? Oh, you'll be as wise. He just doesn't want you to be as smart as him. Authority issue. You should just do it. Like if he's really who he says he is, he wants you to be like, he's just trying to hold you back. And they believed the lie. They believed it all the way into their heart. They ate the fruit. They sinned and they were cast out of the garden. Now Jesus is considered in theology, the second Adam. He sets everything right. But I want you to notice the correlation. As Adam and Eve are placed on the earth to do the work of God, Jesus is baptized in the ministry and he's sent out to do the work of God. In that moment, the father's voice says, I love you, I'm proud of you, this is my son, follow him. And instead of walking into a lush garden, he walks in to deal with the suffering we created all on our own, the wilderness. He goes into the thorny place and he's tempted by the enemy with the exact same tools that the enemy tempts in the garden, the first Adam, he tempts with the second Adam. And here's what he says to, to Jesus. If you really are the son of God, look how he goes against the word of God. God himself spoke from the clouds. This is my son, whom I love, whom I'm well pleased. And then the enemy, three different times in the wilderness says, if you're the son, okay, he's challenging truth by trying to infect his thoughts, emotions, and desires. You can see it as clear as day. And what does Jesus himself do? He doesn't judo chop. He doesn't go, ah! he says, it is written. And all he does is stand on the truth of the word. It's all he needed in that moment. And you and I, have that same spirit that we can stand on the promises of God. And when the enemy comes in like a flood, the spirit of the Lord sets up a standard against it. It's not about getting another judo chop. It's not about singing in the high notes. It's not about getting your praise on. It's about standing on the promises and the word of God. Believe the Bible. It's what you need. It's his word and his word is enough. Number two, own your part. 
So even though we believe in the Bible and we stand on what only he can do, we also do our part to put on the formal armor of God. Write it down. I am responsible for my thoughts. You made me so mad. No, they didn't. You let them make you so mad. The two things you can control is how you respond to somebody and how you let them get into your brain. They drove me crazy. You gave them, you, 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 you got into the co-pilot seat. You're responsible for your thoughts. And this isn't an indictment. This is a reality. Look what Paul says in Corinthians. We're human. Like we deal with this. But we don't wage war as humans do. We use God's mighty weapons, not worldly weapons, to knock down the strongholds of human reasoning, those desires, and to destroy false arguments, thoughts, and emotions. We destroy every proud obstacle that keeps people from knowing God. I'm gonna, I'm gonna push those down by the word of God. I'm gonna own, I'm gonna be responsible for my thoughts. I push those down. I keep, that's gonna keep me from knowing the love and kindness and goodness and strength of my Savior. And we capture rebellious thoughts. Capture rebellious thoughts. Look to the person next to you, all of our locations, and say, capture rebellious thoughts. Go ahead. You got you got like, like a kid with a jar chasing fireflies in the backyard. You gotta capture rebellious thoughts. You gotta capture them up. Like Rocky chasing chickens to train to fight Apollo Creed. You gotta capture rebellious thoughts. I wonder how many rebellious thoughts we have we don't even realize we're having because we haven't made time to really think. So what do we have to do? Number three, we gotta set a trap for your runaway thoughts. They're running away. You guys say, whoa, 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 whoa. But some of you, you live on runaway thoughts. You just get, you just let it take you down, take you out, take you around. You are, you are driven by that desire gone haywire because you haven't even stopped to think about is what I'm thinking right now even true? The person who knows me and loves me more than any other person on the planet is my spouse, I know that. But why do I get so defensive and think she's out to get me when she says something I can improve on? Defense, you know, force field. Why? Because the enemy, ever since I was a little kid, somehow got into me that I'll never be enough, that I'm, I'm always, I'm, I'm gonna have to fight for everything I get, that I, I'm not good enough, that uh, why, why would God wanna use you? And that lie deposited so long ago, some reason, rears it ugly head. Mom, you're a mom in the room. And you think, what you're thinking is, I, I just wanna make sure my kids know I love them and I'm gonna do everything I can, but you know what's really happening? Your desire to be the perfect mom is actually coming from a lie that somewhere down the road, somewhere down the road, you thought you could never really measure up. You thought you couldn't be enough or maybe someone told you you would never be enough if you didn't do it this way or didn't make it happen this way. And now, you are packing the lunch and you're doing the parties and you're spending the extra time and you're posting them on Facebook with a filter that looks perfect, not because you're a perfect mom, because you're not, but because somewhere you begin to believe the lie 
that if unless I, things look like this and I do it this way, my kids won't think I'm a good mom or my kids won't embrace me. Maybe my kids will run away from me. And so you do everything in your power. And do you see how easily that lie could infect you? How easily you could rely on your own strength as a mama instead of his strength that loves you and that knows you're not perfect and loves you anyway and delights in you. You gotta set a trap. You can go weeks without food. You, you can go days without water. You can go minutes without breathing. You cannot go three seconds without thinking. Thinking, thinking, thinking. And before you know it, before I'm even done with this message, you have already thought another lie that's in your muscle memory. Oh, Jesus doesn't want you to stay that way and he's giving you all you need to break free from that. You've heard it said experience is the best teacher. That's wrong. It's not even right. You know why? Because some of you, you've, you've done the same thing over and over like an idiot. And it didn't teach you a dang thing. Experience is not the greatest teacher. Here's what it is. Evaluated experience is the best teacher where you actually consider why these things are happening, where you consider these things, where you uh, think about your thoughts. Take time this week and just think about your thoughts. Open up a note on your smartphone. Open, get a piece of paper and do it analog old school, baby. And just begin to identify when you get upset about something, could there be a lie I'm believing here? Could there be something? Could there, could there be like, may, maybe I need to just be a little bit slower to speak Something that's helped me is when I say, are you, are you upset with me? Are you trying to fix something? Do you just wanna have a conversation? Are we good? Because what I'm wanting to respond in is like, I wanna get defensive like you're kind of attacking me because you know how my wife is. <laughs> it's a joke, it's a joke. She's like the sweetest person on earth. I mean, it's like, she goes and runs 14 miles. Her ponytail's just, you know, oh, it's a beautiful day in the neighborhood. I just want to grab that ponytail every once in a while and just pray for her, you know? <laughs> just happy, exciting. And she loves me. But I let lies sneak in, infect me. Okay? I got to evaluate that experience. Evaluate it. Okay? We capture rebellious thoughts and we teach them to obey Christ. You do not let your fourth grader determine whether they want to go to fifth grade or not. Okay, we wanna raise great deciders. We want them to make decisions for themselves. This is, this is the, the total ridiculous contradiction of parents that don't want to force like, them to go to church with them so they can kind of do whatever. I don't wanna force religion down their throat. Well, you're forcing government education down their throat every day. Or, or, or if you're home educating, you're, you're, you're forcing something down their throat every day. You're gonna make them brush your teeth because you're gonna educate them that like, you know, girls love white teeth, boys, <laughs> you know. So which I don't think is a lie. I think that is <laughs> true. You gotta capture those rebellious thoughts. I gotta finish. You gotta take your thoughts to school. The same way you take your kids to school, you gotta take your thoughts to school. And as we finish today, theology is man's thoughts about God. 
and you can become theologically strong on your thoughts about who God is. That's not where I'm asking you to take your thoughts to school, to theology school. You can take your thoughts to psychology school and psychology has its place and it's important and um, I myself, see, uh, I seek a professional burden carrier. I have a professional burden carrier, a counselor, a psychologist who helps me at least once if not twice a month. I need that professional burden carrying for me. But that's not where you need to go to school just in and of itself. You go to philosophy and that's just man's thoughts about man's thoughts. Or we can go back to that key element. We can go back to the word, the Bible, which is God's thoughts about himself and us. And if you're gonna replace the lie with the right thought, go to the one who designed you. Go to the one who created you. If you've got an issue with an appliance, you look to the owner's manual and I want you to know you were bought with a price. You are created in the image of God. He knows you better than you know you. And not only is the author of your faith, he is the perfecter and the finisher of your faith. And we go to the word. When the culture wants to say, chase your dreams, that can sound good. But he wants to say, hey, hey, hey seek first the kingdom. Seek first the kingdom and all his righteousness and all the other things can be added, but seek first the kingdom. You can chase your dreams and run right into a brick wall and make more money than you ever made than you ever made in your life, but you can actually hijack your life because you're seeking the wrong things. Seek me first and I'll help you with the other stuff. Make my dreams your dreams. You're gonna chase those dreams. You're gonna see those dreams fulfilled. Ah, I can't be happy unless I experience this, unless I have that, unless I change this, until I, unless I trade this in. He says, oh, I've learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Oh, if it feels good, it must be right. Right, I, I just wanna feel good, I deserve this. Not my will, but yours be done. I'm living my truth. <laughs> Your word is truth. Your word is truth. Are you hurting? He's my comfort. And if I'm confused, he is my guide. And if I'm discouraged, he is my hope. And if I'm wounded, guess what? He is my healer. And if I'm anxious, ha, he is my peace. And if I'm weak, he is my strength. And if I'm living lies and I don't even realize it, I want you to know he is my truth. And if you're living lies, listen, if I'm living a lie, I am enslaved to that lie. I am in chains to that lie. That's why he said the truth will set you free. So as you go your day thinking, and as you go on your week thinking, whatever's true and whatever's noble, whatever's right and whatever's pure, and whatever's lovely, whatever's admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. And that could give you a big outline of listing all kinds of stuff. But let me really boil it down for you and just let you know that that isn't just a laundry list of stuff to think about. That's a person to hang yourself with, the, the person to lean on and not your own understanding. Jesus is the truth and Jesus is noble and Jesus is right and Jesus is lovely and Jesus is excellent and Jesus is praise worthy. And finally, brothers and sisters, put your mind on things that are about Jesus and he will recalibrate the heart that's infected.
you close your eyes and pray with me today? Two truths I want to share with you. He loves you and he's holy. And because he loves you, he's given you access to him. But he's holy so that you, you actually don't have what it takes to get close to him. So he doesn't look at what you could do. He actually looks at what his son has already done. Paid and paved your way to find and know God. And one of the greatest lies you could be living right now is that you're okay without him. You're not. Or you may be living the lie that there's no way he'd want me. He wants you. Oh, he loves you. You may be living the lie that oh, it's too hard. I can't, I can't, I, I can't do what I need to do to really get saved. <laughs> what a lie, because he's already done all you could do. You just have to receive it. It's a gift. So the first prayer is for those of you that need to find Jesus today. He's already found you. There's nothing you could do to make him love you less. Nothing you could do to make, you, make him love you more. So confess and believe today. Reach up and grab Jesus. In your own words, you say, Jesus, I need you on the throne of my heart. I want you to. I want you to integrate my thoughts and emotions and desires around you. I, I want to follow you. Help me. And here's the truth, friend. He will, and he already is. You're not here by accident. This is part of his plan. Embrace him today. Say thank you to Jesus because he is saving you in this moment. Though your sin be like scarlet, be like crimson, he'll wash it white as snow. The second prayer is for you. Maybe you're like me and you don't have to pray a repentance prayer of following Jesus and asking him to be the Lord of your life, but you do need to ask him to help you identify the lies you are living. I need help with that. If that's you, maybe you just put a hand up in the air like, like mine is today. Yeah, yeah. Jesus, I don't wanna live lies. I want to live in your truth. The enemy is not going to have free reign in my thoughts, in my emotions, in my desires. I replace all of that with your truth. I am who you say I am. I can do what you say I can do. I am an heir to the glorious riches of Christ Jesus. I have all I need if I have you. So God, help me to buckle up with truth to put you first, to believe you are who you say you are. Father, give me insight by your Holy Spirit who guides us into all truth to identify the lies that so easily entangle us. And may we walk free from them. We ask it in the name of Jesus, the way, the truth, the life, the strong son of God. And everybody at all locations said, amen.